Well, this past week was a reminder that we all kind of have these events that have occurred sometime during our lifetimes when the world seemed to stop. For instance, I bet if I took the microphone around the yard here this morning that there are a lot of people here who could tell me exactly where you were when you learned that JFK was killed. Maybe you remember the exact moment that man first walked on the moon. The first one in my lifetime was the Challenger explosion, but I was still a little too young to realize that I was in one of those moments while it was happening. And then obviously this week, we were reminded that we all have stories about where we were, do- where we were and what we were doing the morning of 9-11. That is the way that life has been for us, for all of us, for all of our lifetimes so far. Now, certainly we all have moments in our own personal lives that serve as, as mile markers, but there are just a handful of these moments where time seemed to stand still for everyone simultaneously. One moment in time. Until this year, that is. This year isn't just one moment in time, although I realize it will eventually read that way in history books many years from now. But it's not as if there was a moment where time stood still this year. We can confidently say that this is a year like no other that any of us have ever experienced before. The year started with the bushfires that raged through Australia, burning 12 million acres, killing over two dozen people and over a billion animals. In military news, there was a targeted U.S. drone strike in Baghdad that killed an Iranian major general, which, well, not everyone worldwide appreciated. In pop culture news, Kobe Bryant was killed in a helicopter crash that also killed his daughter and seven other people. In health news, China began to report clusters of what they thought was pneumonia, which very quickly turned into 8,000 cases of what we now know as coronavirus. Oh, and this was all still just in the month of January 2020. Obviously, the greatest event that has most deeply affected everyone is the cluster of cases of pneumonia that quickly became a worldwide pandemic. It was mid-March when everyone here was sent home. Schools were closed, restaurants, stores, and all kinds of other businesses were closed. Corporations sent their employees home to work. We settled into what we thought or hoped would be a weeks-long situation. We made jokes about everyone working in their pajamas and parents homeschooling their kids. Alcohol consumption went up and wearing pants that buttoned went down. Those were the jokes at the beginning, right? And everything, absolutely everything, went online, including church. We downloaded new apps and learned to do business meetings, Bible studies, and school from our computers. Initially, it was new and strange, and we just tried to make the best of it. But tens of millions of people in the U.S. lost their jobs, and countless businesses were closed. The death counts worldwide went up every single day. We were getting daily briefings from national and state political leaders. The information changed so fast that it was impossible to keep up with. People started fighting about whether or not the pandemic was real. Then we started fighting over what should be done about it. 
Should everything shut down or should everything stay open? Then we started fighting about whether or not we should be wearing masks. Somewhere along the line, basic human decency went out the window. And then George Floyd was killed. And while his death was unfortunately not an uncommon scenario in our culture, there was something about the timing of it and everyone's already completely frayed emotions that people started talking about some of the systemic racial issues that we have in our country, finally. People started protesting. Other people started riots and looting. The combination of these things seemed to elevate the racial tensions and divisions that have always existed. In some ways, it felt that the desperate cries of our black and brown brothers and sisters were finally being heard, and that white people were trying to listen, perhaps for the very first time. But like anything else, or everything else that has happened in 2020, it caused vitriolic division, and everything has somehow turned into a political issue. And while I'm on the topic of of politics, no one who is alive today can think of a time when the two sides of our political system were so far apart so filled with hatred towards one another, and so unwilling to listen to each other. Then you throw in things like murder hornets, and and don't forget the devastating natural disasters that we've experienced this year, the dust storms, the hurricanes in the south and the east, the land hurricane that devastated Iowa, the drought that has affected much of the country, the floods that have affected other parts of the country, And now we have these wildfires that are causing massive devastation in California, in Oregon, in Washington. Then we have to decide, we had to decide what to do with our schools and our our poor school boards and our poor administrators were in a no-win situation in their decision making. Our poor teachers had to change their plans 10 different times, often at the very last minute. And our poor kids had to start a brand new school year without any of the fun things that usually come along with that. It has been six months without traveling, without eating out at our favorite restaurants, six months without getting to worship together in our sanctuary, six months of not seeing family and friends the way that we're used to, six months without hugs and kisses from the people you love. As the unemployment rates went up, so did the alcohol and drug and suicide rates. As the pandemic went on month after month after month, people's overall mental health worsened. And so here we are now, just about to begin our seventh month of this. No one knows who or what to believe anymore. Most of us can't stand watching the news. Half of us have probably already binge-watched everything on, net- on Netflix. It feels like this will never end. We're sick of the fighting. We all miss being together. Oh, and it's an election year. Awesome. Now, I'm sure that you were hoping that after two weeks of my not preaching, that I would come up here this morning and just spend my time reading to you a list of everything that has been awful this year, right? Super uplifting. But my point in listing all of this stuff isn't to be a Debbie Downer. It's not to purposefully dampen your mood. My point in listing off all of these events of 2020 is because I know that you feel this. Talk to anyone. Ask nearly anyone how they're doing these days. Everyone is sick and tired of all of this. 
except we're not actually tired. We're something else. What is it? We're weary. We're all just weary. (coughs) And so this morning, we are kicking off a three-week series called The Struggle is Real. Because isn't it? The struggle is real these days. None of us have ever been through anything quite like what we've experienced this year, and it has been a struggle. Some of you were busier than ever in your jobs, while others of you were furloughed or even let go from your jobs. Some of you have been stuck in a house with the same people every second of every minute of every hour of every day for the past six months. And others of you have felt the weight of isolation during this time. No matter your own situation, most of us are weary. I don't want to hear any more bad news. I can't handle the division. I can't deal with the political tension and hatred. I can't take one more natural disaster. I can't even think about the fact that we are entering another season while still in the midst of this pandemic. I miss my friends. I'm sick of wearing a mask. My hands are raw from washing them so much, and it feels like there is no end in sight. I am weary. This is such a common conversation these days. Whether you're in the church or outside the church, everyone is having this conversation. There are articles all over the place about pandemic fatigue and quarantine fatigue and isolation fatigue. There are articles about our instinct to turn the news off and just bury our head in the sand so that we don't have to hear the constant barrage of bad news. And with that, there are people everywhere talking about solutions to all of this weariness. I came across a good article by a psychologist that talks about all of these steps for dealing with COVID fatigue. And she says things like, understand that your feelings are normal or reframe your thinking, or redirect your attention to what's possible, or step up your self-care efforts. Other people have encouraged folks to make sure they maintain a routine, since so many of our routines have been seriously impacted. Others are encouraging therapy for those who are finding themselves depressed or anxious during this time. And all of these are great ideas, right? Understanding that you're not alone and that your feelings are normal, this is a good thing. And you know that we are huge advocates for good mental health care around here. So I'm happy to see people seeking counseling during such trying times. I couldn't support that more. But I also, I also can't help but feel that we're selling ourselves short when it comes to how we are managing the weariness that we are feeling these days. Here's what I mean by that. Now, if you are one of those weirdos who doesn't crave chocolate like a normal person, you can just kind of ignore this analogy. But for the rest of you who are normal, I wonder, have you ever had a craving for chocolate? And so you start searching around your house for something, but then you remember that you've been trying to be good and so you haven't actually bought chocolate because you know that if you keep it in the house, you'll just eat it. But you really need some chocolate So you stumble upon the only thing that you have in your house, which is like year-old baking chocolate. Does it satisfy the chocolate craving? Eh, maybe a little. But is it what you really wanted or needed in that moment? Not at all. But it'll have to do. So when we are this kind of weary, 
The kind of weary that we are seeing in almost everyone we come into contact with lately. The world around us is essentially trying to feed us year-old baking chocolate when we actually have access to the real thing, the thing that we need most right now. And I, I know, I know especially for those of you who are watching online and are maybe new to church or skeptical about the whole Jesus thing, I know that what I'm saying sounds super churchy, but stick with me. Don't, don't tune out just yet. We don't sell a fake Jesus around here. In fact, we don't sell Jesus at all around here. We're not about telling anyone that following Jesus will make all of their problems go away. In fact, I don't even believe that following Jesus is the easier option. A life of discipleship isn't easy. However, I also believe with every fiber of my being that when Jesus promises us something, he is faithful in keeping those promises. And he very much had something to say about the depth and the degree of weariness that many of us are feeling these days. And what he had to say, it wasn't a law. It wasn't a command. It was, in fact, an invitation. And so if you want to follow along with me, we're looking at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. This might be a familiar passage to some of you. And this is Jesus speaking here. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, for some of us, the simplicity of this invitation is beautiful. For other more skeptical among us, this invitation may seem trite. But here's the thing. Where other major world religions offer pathways and pillars to find peace, Jesus simply offers himself. The fourfold path to peace and enlightenment that one major world religion speaks to requires us to earn it. The five pillars of peace through submission that another world religion touts is also to be earned. And we're all very familiar with what society tries to offer us, which is that we love things that are, are 10 steps to this or five levels of that because we live in a self-help obsessed culture. But Jesus offers us something completely different. Author John Bloom says, unique to anyone else in human history, Jesus simply offers himself as the universal solution to all that burdens us. And his simple promise is audacious. Come to me. Now, the only way that this isn't megalomaniacal lunacy is if Jesus is who he claims to be the eternal word made flesh, our creator. His simple promise implies a power behind it more than sufficient to lift whatever weighs us down. Jesus is calling us to believe that he is who he says he is and that he is able to do what he claims and promises to be able to do. 
As Bloom writes, here is where our burdened souls are tested. Will we believe in him? Will we trust him? We want to rest our souls on the knowledge of how and when our burdensome problems will be addressed. But Jesus does not provide those details. He simply promises us that they will be addressed. Jesus does not want our souls resting on the how and when, as if we are wise enough to understand and determine them. Rather, he wants our souls resting on the surety that he will keep his promise to us in the best way at the best time. Come to me, he says. Cast your anxieties on me, for I care for you. Trust in me with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, he says, and you will find rest for your souls. Our souls only find rest and hope. That's what we're frantically looking for whenever our souls are burdened and restless. Hope. And that's what most of the marketing of most of the products in the world tries to offer us. Hope. But they are false hopes for a soul rest. They provide only temporary distraction from or or briefly mask the effects of our burdened souls. They don't lighten our loads. Friends, this is so important for us to recognize during times like these. We have to understand the difference between the things that may bring us temporary relief from our weariness versus the only one who can unburden us from it. The kind of rest that we need right now isn't going to come from a good nap or a weekend away. It's not going to come from a particular product on the market a book that's being sold, or a class that you can attend. The kind of rest that we really need during this time is going to come from the creator and sustainer of our lives, the one who promises us rest in him, the one who promises us his yoke instead of the one that we are carrying. Now, real quick, there is some disagreement about what kind of yoke Jesus meant here. Some people believe that this phrase came from the ancient Jews who talked about the yoke of the law. Other scholars believed that Jesus was talking about the yoke that that oxen would have placed on their backs when they pulled or carried something. Others believe that Jesus was talking about the yoke of the cross, the actual cross beam that Jesus had to carry. The much more important point, however, is that Jesus took the unbearably heavy burden of our sin upon himself, and what he asks in exchange is that we trust in him. Bloom said it this way. He said, Jesus does all the work and gives us all the rest. I think that's a pretty amazing deal. (laughs) He does all the work and gives us all the rest. Now, it does involve trust on our part. And I am not claiming that that is an easy thing. I know it's difficult to lean on God in that way. I know it can feel impossible to unburden yourself before someone who isn't physically in front of you in human form. I get that. But that's also why the church is so important, especially right now. We weren't intended to exchange these yokes, so to speak, or to find this rest all on our own. We experience weariness in different ways and at different times. 
Even now, though we're all in this strange season together, we experience the ups and downs of it at different times. Just yesterday, a friend said to me, I feel like I have days where I wake up and think, I've got this. This just is what it is, and we will manage it. And then there are other days when I wake up and I'm sad or I'm angry about the whole thing, and I can't do it anymore. And that's why we're doing this series. And it's also why we need each other. And a huge part of the struggle right now is that everything in life is pointing us toward isolation. We are encouraged to stay home right now. We're encouraged not to gather in groups of people. We're asked to wear things that cover our faces. So even when we are out in public, we can't really see each other. A lot of us have grown fearful of other people. Work is at home. School is at home. Church is at home. And the tricky thing here is that when we are weary, the temptation is to pull away. We get discouraged because we're exhausted and there's no end in sight. And then our discouragement turns into anger or cynicism and we just turn further and further inward. This is why we need the church so much right now. And it's why we'll continue serving you however we can as a church, even, even given the limitations around us. Because when we turn inward, we're not so good at speaking truth to ourselves. We need other people to speak truth to us, to remind us who we are, and to remind us whose we are. And so I want you to know this morning that you are not alone, that we see you. If you are COVID fatigued or quarantine fatigued or school fatigued or screen fatigued or just plain weary from it all, know that that weariness does not have to overtake your soul. There is an invitation right before you this morning to lean into the one who created you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Proverbs 3, 5, which I mentioned already this morning, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And I always love the message translation of the verses that we looked at this morning from Matthew 11. It says, Are you tired? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the invitation from God, the one who created us the one who never intended for us to live this life carrying the burdens that we so often carry. Come to him, get away with him, and you will recover your life. Spend time with Jesus and he will show you what it is to find real rest. Walk with him and work with him. I mean, doesn't it sound amazing to learn the unforced rhythms of grace? Doesn't that kind of sound like oxygen when you're gasping for air? It's his promise that he won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on us. 
When we learn to offer these burdens over to Jesus day after day, we learn what it is to live freely and lightly, which is the way that we were meant to live. Those other things, those those attitude changes, setting your routine, doing yoga, whatever it is, those are all great. And I hope that you're all doing some of those things as well. But I want you to know at the end of the day that those things will never ease your weariness the way that only Jesus can. They are kind of the year old baking chocolate when you're looking for the real stuff. The invitation is here before you. I don't have to sell it to you because I believe that Jesus is who he says he is and I believe that he will be faithful to his promise to ease your burden and give you real, genuine, freeing rest in him. It's yours for the taking. The invitation is there, which is why I'm so grateful that we are gathering at the table for communion this morning. There's a psalm of which many of us know the first half. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And usually that's all we memorize. But the whole verse actually says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And so this morning, if you're watching online or if you're gathered here in the lawn and you're exhausted, if you are struggling through another day, another week, another month of this pandemic, and you're just weary, I want you to grab the elements that are in front of you. If it's bread and wine, that's wonderful. If it's a Cheerio and some orange juice, that's just as good. And as we eat and drink in just a few moments, I want you to think of that verse, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. This table is what we need today. In the face of the chaos, in the midst of the weariness, we are invited to this table. We are invited to taste of the goodness of God and to rest in his care. And you are all invited No matter what churches may have told you before about decisions you've made or things you've been through causing you to be excluded from this table, you are not. If you call upon the name of Jesus as Savior, he welcomes you to this table as you are. To take refuge, to get real rest, to recover your life, and to learn to live in freedom.